0: John chapter six. Uh, if if you want to follow along, I'm using the Pew Bible, uh, and that is page 946. If you want to follow along, there. John chapter six, and we'll do verses uh, one through 33. Is what we'll be looking at. I'll read but before we get started. I'll read the passage, and I'll, I'll read through about verse twenty-seven, but we'll work all the way through about verse thirty-three. John chapter six, verses one through thirty-three. Starting in verse one, Scripture says, "After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberius." A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus, he went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? And he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in place, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus, he took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again into the mountain by himself when evening came, his disciples went to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at shore where they were heading." The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw where they had been only one boat. And they also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off along. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Let's say a prayer. Lord, we're thankful for your scripture this morning. I ask that everyone in this room would be moved by the words in this passage, and that we would come to greater faith in you, those of us who do believe, and those who don't believe, I ask that you would move them to faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have a familiar passage today, it's one everyone in this room has probably heard at some point, even unbelievers are aware of uh, this passage, and personally, I think about this passage often when working with the youth, uh, because that's what it feels like getting snacks for them—the feeding of the five thousand. They are vultures over this food, uh, and it's it's hilarious. And they'll they'll I, I could get enough snacks to feed a pack of wolves for like a month, and they would blow through it in one night if I let them. They they are just always hungry, always looking for food, and I had to start locking. Uh, the snacks. I, I, I found a key. and Look, any of you guys, if you're ever here and you need a snack, uh, just come find me. I'll show you where the stash is. Terry knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but I, I had to start locking it, and then they sniffed out the key. They found the key, and I, I caught one of them with the key in the lock, and he just looked at me like, like a deer in headlights. Uh, and uh, they're, they're wild animals when it comes to food. It's the feeding of the 5,000 with that group. And honestly, I thought they were bad, and then I went to kids' camp, and there's like goldfish and Rice Krispies like hidden and stuffed under the mattresses. It was like they finally got this freedom to eat as much as they wanted all the time. And uh, there was one day, one kid, he had like, I'm not joking, probably six or seven chocolate chip cookies, and then a big full cup of ice cream. And that was his meal, like that wasn't dessert, that, that was the entree for him. Uh, so we, we had a good time though, but it always feels like uh, the feeding of the 5,000 to me. In our passage uh, this morning, it shows Jesus perform one of the most memorable miracles that he does. There's a crowd of people who are in need, and to everyone who was there, and even for us today, a need that seems impossible to meet, it was absolutely, completely possible for God. So verses uh, 1 through 3, it starts out, and and it says, After this, Jesus, he crossed over to the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he performed by healing the sick. Jesus went up to a mountain, and he sat there with his disciples. So a little background for you. In chapter 5, Jesus, he heals a man who had been disabled for like 38 years, and he does this healing on the Sabbath. Uh, And this makes the Jews that were there and saw it pretty unhappy. So they started persecuting Jesus. They started coming after him. And at the end of chapter 5, Jesus, he goes into this speech to them about how they think they know God, how they think they love God, but they don't because they are living for the glory of man rather than the glory of God. And he tells them, you don't even believe what scripture says because Moses wrote about me and you don't believe it. He says, if you don't believe what Moses has said, of course you're not going to believe what I've said. And so Jesus, he he moves on from this interaction. That's a little bit significant later. He moves on from this interaction. He crosses to the Sea of Galilee. And here in the beginning of chapter 6, it says that this crowd follows him. It's helpful to remember Jesus, he had established himself at this point, at minimum, uh, as someone who uh, was unique and different from everyone else. In some of your Bibles, if you're following along in the Pew Bible, uh, you'll see at the beginning of the chapter, it says the fourth sign, the feeding of the 5,000. So in chapter 2, we have the first sign, Jesus, he turns the water into wine. In chapter 3, we have the second sign, Jesus heals the son of an official. In chapter 5, we have the third sign, the healing of the disabled man that I just mentioned. Uh, And then here, this is the fourth sign. And, And on top of these miracles that he's done, he's already done three really big signs. He's teaching in ways that these people have never, ever heard before. He's speaking in ways that they have never seen any teacher, any rabbi ever speak in ways. So you can believe that someone like Jesus, he had built up a following at this point. So the crowds, they follow him, and and Jesus, he goes up this hill, and he sits with his disciples. Verses 4 through 6, it tells us now, The Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked us to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. So John's gospel, this is told in three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, John's gospel is the only one who tells us that this happened near the Passover, which I think makes this miracle all the more significant. Passover, uh, it celebrates God's provision for Israel. So in multiple ways, and one of those ways was God's provision through the exodus from Egypt, saving them out of Egypt, and providing for them while they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. God, he rained down bread from heaven to provide for their needs while they were wandering in the wilderness. And here on this mountain, while Passover is approaching, the very thing they're celebrating, Jesus is going to provide bread for the needs of these people. And Jesus, he he sees this crowd, this huge crowd, which the passage it it later says, as we know, it says the men numbered about 5,000. And the Greek word that's used, when it says men, it doesn't mean men as in like humanity, people, it means specifically males. Uh, That's the word that's used. So on top of that, there's no doubt that women and children were present. So it could have been 10,000 people, 15,000 people. There were definitely more than 5,000 people there. Uh, And in Matthew and Mark's account of this story, it tells us that Jesus, he looked at the crowd and he has compassion on them. Mark tells us that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, he looked at this crowd of sinful people and his heart was moved with compassion for them because they had no hope. They had no hope in their sin. They had no life in them, and he wanted to change that for them. He wanted to give them life. He wanted to give them forgiveness of their sins. He wanted to give them hope, and so he prepares to do this miracle, but before he does that, he looks at Philip, and he says, where can we go buy bread for these people? Imagine being Philip, and and you're with Jesus, looking at this crowd of thousands, and Jesus looks at you and he says, "Hey, we need to feed over five thousand people. Where's the nearest bakery?" And Matt, that, that, that's essentially what Jesus is saying to him. And Philip's looking back at Jesus, like, "Really? You you want me to find some mom and pop shop to bake bread for all of these people? And and you probably want it done soon, so like within the next half hour, hour." And Philip says, also, we have about 200 denarii on us right now. That wouldn't be enough to give each person, like, a crumb. No one's going to leave away, away from this place happy. Have you ever been hungry and, like, someone gives you something, but it's so little that it just makes you more mad than you were before you ate? It's like, what was even the point of this? I'm, I'm, I feel worse than I did before having nothing. Uh, that's what Philip's saying here. And it's, it's important to remember, you know, Jesus, he it says that Jesus is testing Philip in this passage. Jesus knows the miracle he's about to do. He has no intentions of actually sending Philip to go try and find or buy bread for these people. But he wants Philip to know, he wants Philip to have the faith that what is impossible with man is possible with God. I think it's important that we remember the object of our faith, it's not logic. The object of our faith is a person the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith. That means what doesn't make sense in the natural world is incredibly realistic when God is involved. So Philip was thinking with the money that they had, he's going, we have X amount of money, which means meeting the need here is limited in X amount of ways. And that kind of thinking in our hearts, it's putting limits on God that don't actually exist. Now, it's a good way to think and function when it comes to household budgeting, but the kingdom is not a household, and our resource is Christ himself. The potential of Christ himself, it knows no bounds. As you all know, here at Talathe, we have a business meeting every every month, and every month we look at the church budget. So we have a church budget, and we absolutely should. It's good and right for us to be sure as a congregation that we're being good stewards together. But if we take whatever our budget is, whatever our resources are, and we say, God can only do this much because we only have this much, then we've misunderstood what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Amen. This doesn't mean be foolish, but it does mean be faithful. Amen. In verses 8 through 11, one of the other disciples, Andrew, said to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they to so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. And Jesus, he took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So Andrew, he comes up and goes, hey, there's a kid here, he's got five barley loaves and two fish, but I don't think that's enough. Everyone's probably like, well, yeah, obviously, that's not enough. And it's significant, too, that these this is barley loaves, like this was the bread of poor people. Like I think uh, uh, that there's an old proverb that someone says, we've got some barley here and he says, tell it to the horses. Uh, like that's, that's kind of what this bread was like. It wasn't, it wasn't the bread that people generally wanted to have. It was known as the bread of poor people. And the word that's used for fish, it means really, really small. Like imagine sardines. I think sometimes we picture these, you know, bigger fish, but this is like bait fish uh, is, is more what it's like. And uh, so he says, we've got this kid here. He's got these five barley loaves and, and uh, these two little fish. Now I want to read from you from Second Kings chapter four, uh, verses 42 through 44. This is Second Kings chapter four. It says, a man from Baal Shalishash came to a man of God with his sack full of twenty loaves of barley bread from the first bread of the harvest. And Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. But Elisha's attendant asked, what? Am I to set this before a hundred men? Give it to the people to eat, Elijah said, for this is what the Lord says they will eat and they will have some left over. So he set it before them, and just as the Lord had promised, they ate and they had some leftover. The crowd uh, that was following Jesus in this story would have been mostly Jewish, which means they would have known this story very well. Elisha took twenty loaves of barley and fed one hundred men, and there was still some left over. That's a miracle. Amen. And Jesus, he's not about to feed a hundred. He's about to feed thousands, and he's going to do it with even less than Elisha had. So Jesus, he, he takes the loaves of barley and the two fish, and he gives thanks to God the Father, which is not insignificant, With the little that he had, that this, this poor man's bread and these two very small fish, Jesus knew what he could do with it. Little is much when God God is in it. We sing it all the time. And he knew that God the Father provided it, so he was sure to give thanks and give praise to God. And so Jesus, he, he begins distributing the bread, and he begins giving out the fish to his disciples, and the disciples start giving it out to all the people. He hands a piece to the disciples, and he hands another piece, and then he hands another piece, and it just keeps going and going and going. He just keeps handing it out. These were the first people to experience Olive Garden, endless breadsticks. <laughs> and and every, time, every time Jesus is doing a miracle, he's proving two things. And I tell this to our youth all the time. Anytime we see Jesus do a miracle, there are two absolute guaranteed things that he's proving. He's proving that he is, in fact, God. He is who he says he is. And he's proving that he cares about people. He loves people. And he wants people to know, I am who I say I am. Here's your proof. And he wants everyone to know, even everyone in this room right now, that he cares for them. He cares for us. He loves them in this story. He loves us in this room right now. Their souls, the souls of these Jewish people, matter to Christ. And the souls in this room right now matter to Christ our souls matter to him. People are, it's not like we're just tallies that he has. He's keeping this tally checklist of, okay, we got another one, we got another one, we got another one. That's not how he views us. He, he looks at each person as unique and specific individuals that he uniquely and specifically cares about. That we really matter to his heart. And in his heart, he really actually wants what's good for us. And what's good for us is to give our life to him. So Jesus, he, he gives them as much as they wanted. And I think that's important too, because this wasn't a snack. It wasn't an appetizer. He let them eat until they were full, because that's what they needed. They needed to be filled physically. And God wanted to bless them. These people here, they're not rich. Like, they're not wealthy people. They don't, they don't have, have the big houses and all of this and that. Like, that's not the life that they live. That's not who they were. They probably weren't used to eating this way. They wouldn't have had the freedom to eat until they were full. It wasn't a lifestyle they lived. So the Lord was blessing these people with a gift that they probably had never had before, to eat until they were really genuinely full. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collect them. They fill the 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves and those that were left over and those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, he has them collect up the leftovers. And everyone, every person who witnessed what Jesus had done, they were amazed, of course, as anyone would be. And the people said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses writes... The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. God's people had waited over 4,000 years since Moses wrote those words. And the people that are looking at what Jesus did and seeing the miracle he did, they're they're, they're thinking, there's our prophet. Like, there he is. Moses wrote about him, and now he's here. It has to be him. But unfortunately, for the Jewish people there and and for the Jews in this time, they had this very uh, skewed understanding, a a misunderstanding perspective of who their Messiah was supposed to be. They were thinking politically. They were thinking politics. They were thinking earthly kingdom. They were thinking power. But the kingdom of God is not of this world. And and they get excited about it. They they finally see this guy that they've been waiting for, and the one that they've been waiting for really isn't who Scripture says this guy's going to be, but they get excited, And, and Jesus recognizes that they're about to try and take him by force. They get excited. They want to force Jesus to be their king, so Jesus, he sneaks away into the mountain by himself. That's verse 15. And then in 16... Through 21, I'll I'll kind of summarize this part for us, but the disciples, they get out in this boat, they're they're heading to Capernaum, and when they get a few miles out, uh, everything starts to get real shaky out in the water. And they see this man walking on the water in the distance. And what would be your reaction if you're out on your boat and you see a man walking on the water? Like, you're going to freak out a little bit. This just doesn't happen. You're going to be scared. And they were scared. And Jesus gets close and he says, don't be afraid, it's me. That's all they needed to hear. And, and Jesus, he's walking on this water, he gets on the boat, and then when they get off the boat, uh, suddenly, like, they're at shore. It just miraculously happened. Jesus just did this amazing miracle And now he's walking on water and he's making them travel at some kind of light speed so that they're at the shore. And Jesus is, he's always giving the disciples a little bit more. They always have a little bit more background. They have a little bit uh, more to their story because they're the ones who are going to be planning the church. And so Jesus, he wants them to know, hey, I really do love you guys. And I really am who I say I am. And so Jesus, he's doing this for the disciples and he just controlled the elements like he, he just walked in the middle of a storm on water. And previously before that, he just took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed over 5,000 people. Amen. And if, if you've witnessed these things and you're doubting his lordship, there's an issue in your heart at this point. And so it comes to verses 22 through 25, and it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone off alone. And some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus or the disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So Jesus, he's he's able to get away from this crowd. He's able to sort of protect himself, and he sneaks away alone but the crowd wasn't satisfied with what they had experienced uh, with Christ. And they've seen what he can do. They believe he's the prophet that Moses wrote about, which he is, but they've misunderstood what exactly, who exactly that Messiah is supposed to be. And so they want to find him. They loaded up their boats. They go to the other side of the sea, and they find him, and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And they call him rabbi in this moment, which means teacher. This is a, a respectful way for them to call him teacher, which he is a teacher. He, he is rabbi, but that's not all he is. They don't understand yet what it means for Jesus to be Lord. And if, if you remember uh, what I mentioned that happened in chapter 5, the Jewish people, they were upset with Jesus, with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. He did work on the Sabbath, and they weren't happy about that. And Jesus tells them, you don't believe scripture because if you did, you would have no problem with the work that I just accomplished. Because you would know that I'm God. And the same is true here. They don't really believe scripture because if they did, they wouldn't be trying to force Jesus to be some earthly political king so that they can stand up to the Roman government. That's all they wanted. They were tired of being oppressed, which they're right to be tired of being oppressed. But they thought Jesus was, was going to come and physically fight battles for them. And that's not why Jesus came. Right. They, they, they wouldn't be trying to force him to be their king. Instead, they would be calling him Lord and praying to him for salvation. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if you are looking for me, it's not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts forever and gives eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So Jesus tells them, he says, You're not here because you actually have faith in me. You're here because I filled your stomachs yesterday yesterday, and you just want to have your stomachs filled again. You want me to be your genie, and that's not happening. You want your wishes granted, and that's not why I came. He says, you want bread that perishes, but what you don't realize is that you need bread that is eternal. And I have that bread, and I'm willing to give it to you. You know, something we see from Jesus is that he is consistently beckoning people to come to him but he's never begging them. And I I think that distinction is important because I think to beg would communicate that he needs us. And that's not the gospel. It's not true. What he's communicating to us is we need him. And he wants us to come. Peter tells us that God's desire is for every person to be saved. That's his heart towards all people is that we come to trust and place our faith in Christ and to have hope and joy that is eternal. That's his heart. But the people in this passage, they don't see that. They're not not thinking about their souls. Everything they're thinking about is is the surrounding world around them. That's all that matters to them in this moment. They're hungry. Jesus fed their hunger yesterday. So come on, Jesus, do it again. Let's get to it. We, We want more bread. In verse 28, they go, what can we do to perform the works of God. So they've seen Jesus do these miracles, and surely if this man, that's how they view him, is just a man, if this man can do it, there has to be a way that we can do it too. So they say, what's the secret? Like, how do we do what you did yesterday? If you're not gonna gonna fill our bellies with bread, at least tell us how we can do it so that we can fill our bellies with bread. That's what they're thinking. They want power and they seek glory for themselves. And that's exactly what Jesus says to them in chapter five. He says, you don't seek glory of God, you seek glory for man. And that's not the Christian life. They want power and they seek glory for themselves and their hearts are prideful. And when we let pride rule our hearts, it's not about the work that Christ has already accomplished anymore. It becomes about the work that we can accomplish. You know, over the the past couple of months, uh, Jordan has been transparent about some of the issues uh, that have come out over the past years within the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Issues of pastors who had abused church members and then the executive committee who uh, did some, some work to cover up that abuse so no one would know about it. Every story of abuse that happened happened because the abuser's heart was in the same exact place as the Jews in this story. They wanted power. They were seeking glory for themselves. Their hearts were prideful. Every executive committee member that covered up that abuse so that no one would find out about it and tried to hide it under the rug, their hearts were in the same exact place as the, as the Jews in this story. They wanted power. They were seeking glory for themselves. Their hearts were prideful. This applies to every single person. If you take your eyes off Christ and you fix them on yourself, And if your heart desires power, if your heart desires glory, if your heart is ruled by pride, you will hurt people. In some way, you will hurt people. It's not a matter of if, but when. You will absolutely guaranteed hurt people if your heart is prideful, if you're seeking power, and if you're seeking self-glory. You're going to hurt somebody. It will happen. Jesus, he tells them in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. And it's, that's period, that's it. He says, that you believe in the one he has sent. He says, you want to know what a work of God is? It's not doing miracles, it's not having power, it's not putting on a show, it's not even filling your belly. He says, it's to believe in Jesus Christ. That is a work of God. What is impossible with man, like feeding over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, is absolutely possible with God. What is impossible with man, like being saved from our sin forever and having hope and joy that is eternal and being a new person with a new heart, is absolutely possible with God. Amen. But it's only possible with God. Amen. In verse 30, they try to test Jesus, and they basically go to prove it to us again. They say, even Moses gave the people from the wilderness. They get, Moses gave them bread from heaven. So they're thinking, hey, like if you're saying like you're someone special and I know we saw something kind of cool yesterday, but why don't you do it again for us? So they start testing Jesus. They do it. Do it again. Look at Moses. He he provided the people in the wilderness with bread from heaven. It rained down from heaven. We didn't see your bread come down from heaven. Yours just kind of came out of the baskets. But you want to do something a little better for us? And Jesus tells him in in verses 32 and 33, he says, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says Moses wasn't the one who gave you that bread. God's the one who gave you that bread. And God alone is the one who provides the spiritual bread that you need. The, the same God that rained down bread from heaven in the wilderness, that is the same God that fed the 5,000 in this passage. And Jesus, he wants us to know, yes, bread is important. You need bread to survive. But a day will come when earthly bread is not enough. A day will come when you get old and you will pass away, and bread will never, ever be able to change that. He right. says bread in this world can't give us eternal life. That bread only comes from above. And that bread is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Everyone in this room knows what it's like to be weary and burdened because of sin. I think even people who aren't Christians would be able to agree with that. Everyone knows what it's like to be weary and burdened because of sin. Maybe it's your own sin and your own shortcomings. Maybe it's someone else's sin and and how they've hurt you in your life. Maybe it's just this broken world because of sin that's wearing you down. Jesus is offering rest from that weary today. Let's fix our eyes on Christ, the bread of life, the hope of our salvation, our King and Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We're grateful that you were the bread of life, that in you and in you alone salvation is found and that you came down to this earth and you took on human flesh so that we could be forgiven for our sins forever. Help us to never forget that you are Lord and that you as Lord love each and every one of us uniquely, specifically, specially. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.